Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is November the 17th, and our chapter for today is 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's get right to it. Paul is continuing to instruct Timothy on the way he is to handle himself, conduct himself, behave in the house of God. Now, I've already spoken to you about the church of Jesus. It's so important that we understand that the emphasis, the great emphasis in the New Testament is not on the body of Christ at large, that is worldwide, but it is the body of Christ that expresses itself locally. This is so stressed in the Bible, and it is so de-emphasized in our present day. And the primary reason for that is people can't get along with one another, and people don't want to be a part of something. People want to be independent and do their own thing. Jesus saved us, and he saved us for community. You need me and I need you. We need each other. And when the days are difficult that are coming, we're going to find our strength, our encouragement, our nurture, our instruction from the body of Christ as we meet together on a local basis. And so he says, Timothy, you need to teach all of these things that I've been telling you. And let me take it a step farther. And then he goes into the relationship between masters and slaves. Now, we don't use that terminology in our present day. We use the word servant. That's okay. But the word slave is the word slave. And you can't do anything about that. It was forced, coercive. It was something that we deplore. But it was a reality in the Greco-Roman world. Four out of every five people you would meet on the streets of Ephesus, on the streets of Philippi, on the streets of Athens would be slaves. And it is a reality that we cannot go back and change and we cannot condemn those people because they don't rise or fall before us. We're trying to do that in the American culture today is go back and rewrite history. What we cannot do is rewrite history because history is is a record of the facts and of the events that happened, not something that we wished would have happened. And by the way, we have to live our lives today, not in the world that we wish it could be, but the world that God has placed us in. So we are to be salt and light. And so Paul said to his young son, the faith, let as many bond servants as are under the yoke, that is, they are in service to a master, Let them count their own masters worthy of all honor. Now, this was an incredible ask that Timothy was to instruct the people as to how they were to live. Because, you see, many of the slaves came to know Jesus as their Lord, as their ultimate master. And many of them were bound to slaveholders and masters that had become followers of Jesus as well. 
Now, one of those we have a record of in the New Testament, and it is the small letter to Philemon, who was a very wealthy landowner and slave owner in the city of Colossae. And remember, Onesimus, his runaway slave, had come to Rome and had met the Apostle Paul and had become a follower of Jesus, and Paul was sending Onesimus back to Philemon with orders. Listen, treat him as a brother. He loves you. He will serve you faithfully. You're not to just treat him as his owner, but as a brother in Christ. How wonderful it is that Jesus breaks down those barriers. How wonderful it is that there is neither rich nor poor, bond nor free, male or female. And you say, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Okay, so all of those parameters are gone. Well, they are in the role assignments. In other words, the ground is level at the cross. However, role assignments do not go away. There still is male and female. There is rich and poor. But as it relates to our relationship with Jesus, that doesn't count. Because whether you're a woman or whether you are a man, there is one mediator between God and man, and that person is Christ Jesus the Lord. And so he said, I want you who are bond servants, who are bond slaves, to especially treat your masters with great honor. Now, there are many different kinds of slaves that are mentioned and servants that are mentioned in the Bible. And I've spoken about this before, but let me just quickly review. There is the huperetes. That is the under rower. That's what that means. Hooper means under. Retes comes from a word which refers to a galley slave. That's what we call it. And I have used the example because many people have seen the Ten Commandments and Charlton Heston. Well, he starred in another movie that dates to the time of Jesus by the name of Ben-Hur. The movie was Ben-Hur her. This was the story of a Jewish man who was falsely accused and sentenced to be a slave, an under rower, a galley slave. And so many of you can relate to what that looked like by just remembering the story of Ben-Hur. And so that's one kind of slave. That's a galley slave. Then there was the doulos that we're going to be dealing with here. Then there was the oikonomos. That's made up of a compound word, oikos and nomos. Oikos is the word for house. Nomos is the word for law or ruler in this particular sense. And so it was one who ruled the house, the law of the house. And that's usually translated in our English version, manager or steward. It's someone who was put in charge of other slaves. And this was kind of the upper crust of slavery. Yes, they were still in bondage. Yes, they still owed to their master, gave him allegiance. But the reality was they had great freedom and great honor and they oversaw a lot of the master's house. And you get a glimpse of this kind of slavery in the story in the Old Testament of Abram and Eliezer of Damascus. And so you can read about those. And then you have the word diakonos, which is the word for deacon. The word deacon is anglicized, made English, brought over into our language, deacon. But it is a particular kind of servant that dealt with and slave that dealt with serving tables and kitchen help and waiting on the master hand and foot while specifically they were eating. 
And then you have this word doulos. Now, doulos, by the way, is one of Paul's favorite, if not his favorite term for himself. You see, this is a slave that's mentioned in the Old Testament. In Torah, when a person made bad financial decisions and they ended up in debt and could not pay, then they sold themselves to whoever it was that they owed, and many times their family with them, because the debt may have been to where the whole family had to be indentured to a wealthier person or someone who had managed their wealth better. And so that was only for a period of seven years because God said, even if you have to work and serve someone else, I don't want that going over seven years. Parenthetically, let me say to you, that is still the same amount based upon that very same thing of European common law and also... That is based much of it on the Word of God and the Judeo-Christian value system. The debt was to be on the record no longer than seven years. Same thing that happens today in our bankruptcy laws and so forth as a general rule. And so all I'm saying is this is a very biblical practice. After seven years, a slave, a servant who had served for seven years, if indeed he had done well and prospered under the master, we get one idea of slavery and we make that a blanket for all, but that's not the case here. This was basically working off a debt. And at the end of that, if the servant found that his master was generous and kind and that he had done well and prospered under him and really lived better under that servitude than he had on his own, then he could go to his master and say, I love you. You've been faithful to us. You've been good to us. And we love what we do. We love being a part of your family and a part of your economy here. And we would love to just stay with you and give the rest of our lives to you. And after the covenant was made, the master would take the servant that had served him well. He would take him to a doorpost and he would have a particular kind of punch or awl. And he would mark his ear with a particular kind of mark. It was painful. It was bloody. It was something that would be much more than an ear piercing because this was something that could be seen from a distance off and seeing a person. That person then would be that person's slave for the rest of their days so they could serve him. Now, that was called a doulos, plural douloi. These slaves, when you saw them walking down the streets of Athens or Rome or Ephesus or Philippi, when you met them and you saw that particular mark in their ear, you wouldn't think, oh, what a great slave or servant. You would think, oh, what a great master he must have. And this was Paul's favorite designation for himself, that he was a doulos of Christ Jesus. He was a bond slave, a bond servant. He willingly, 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 that's the emphasis, he willingly was enslaved to this generous and gracious and loving master. And he was so kind and good. And so this is what Paul says of himself, of Timothy, of Silas, that they were douloi. Now you know the rest of the story. And so Paul instructs these bond slaves to be good to their masters, and their masters would in turn be good to them. And so it says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, this word wholesome is an interesting word in our language, in English because the word there, wholesome, is the word healthy. 
And it's the word that is the root word and the very letters of the word hygiene. He says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to hygienic words, that is, healthy words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, that goes hand in hand with godliness. If indeed someone is not listening to what I'm saying and not going by the word of God, he's proud. He's full of himself. He knows nothing and he's obsessed. He has a morbid curiosity to try to dig up stuff and tries to cause arguments over words which come to envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, insinuations useless arguments of men that have corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. In other words, they're trying to be good and trying to do this or that so that they can get something out of it. He said, stay away from those kind of people. And he says, now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we need to be content. But those who desire to be rich in this world fall into a lot of temptations. You see, there's a lot of snares out there. The greater your platform, the more money you have, the more you are tempted, you see, because to whom much is given, much will be required. And so the apostle says, many fall into harmful and devastating lust. Men drown in destruction, and it's a kind of hell for them because they are always trying to get more, trying to hold on to what they have. I've spoken to a lot of men with wealth over the years, many of them lost. Some saved. Some of the godliest men I've ever known were men of great wealth monetarily. They loved the Lord with all of their heart, but they had particular temptations to deal with. And one of the richest men in the state that I live in, I met years ago and developed a relationship with him. He wanted to be a follower of Jesus. But when I told him that the ground was level at the cross and he was not going to get special attention in my church just because he had money, because he had insinuated that, then he said, well, then I'm not going to follow through on that. And I said, well, that's one of the temptations that God alone to help you to overcome. And the reason I told him that is simply because he was really struggling with holding on to wealth. Now, he was a zillionaire. I mean, he had millions upon millions of dollars. And again, one of the richest men in the state. But he had great difficulty in resting and being at peace because he was afraid that he was going to lose it all. And that was the basis of his security. And as much as I talked with him and shared with him how the Lord could set him free in his spirit so he wouldn't have to worry and he would be able to develop a gracious and grateful spirit, he to this day has not allowed the Lord to do that in his life. Now, why am I telling you that? Because we need to pray for those who are desiring to be followers of Jesus, who have great wealth, because God will hold them to a particular account because of that wealth, because they do not need to do anything other than what Paul said. Look at what it says in verse 17. He said, command those who are rich in this present age. And he's talking about money here, not rich in family in this. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty 
haughty, puffed up about it, or to think there's something, nor to trust in these uncertain riches that can be taken away, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. In other words, they need to enjoy the blessing that God's given to them and not be puffed up about it. But then it says, let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. In other words, I and other pastors are commanded by the Apostle Paul and therefore by the Lord to remind those who have great wealth monetarily that that is really God's money not theirs, and that they are to be generous and kind and gracious, especially to those who are followers of Jesus, and especially those of the household of faith, especially to the church of Jesus. And may God grant it. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.